And we already read the first part of 1 Peter 3 last week. Now we continue in verse 8 to 22. 1 Peter 3, verse 8 through 22 is our Scripture passage. In response, we will be singing from Psalm 34, the stanzas 6 and 7. Psalm 34, 6 and 7. But first, we listen to the Word of God in 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your heart honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So far the reading of God's holy word. Verse 15 of 1 Peter 3. So the text for the sermon of this morning we find in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness 
and respect. That's our text. In response to the sermon, we will be singing from hymn 35, the stanzas 1, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, anyone who in some way is actively involved with the events of the day, with the development of these years, brothers and sisters, must have been seriously concerned. So many events and developments portray a growing spirit of lawlessness, whether it is the pride parades, transgenderism, same-sex unions, or the impressions from a demonstration and its looting, there seems to be no norms, no limits, no depth, no reason, no spirituality left among those who grab the attention of the news media. Under the guise of the separation of church and state, everything goes, and people are coached by the leaders to get what they want, to live for themselves, and to indulge in their pleasures. The various ordeals such as terrorism, natural disasters, war, COVID or Ebola virus, or the economic malaise, don't seem to have a sobering effect. The appeals of spiritual leaders from whatever corner they come are left unheeded. Live it up and feel good about yourself. That seems to be the motto. Now, I'm sure, beloved, that if you would compare our world with the world in the time of the Apostle Peter, there will be many similarities. However, at that time, the truth of the gospel, the knowledge of salvation, and the real hope for the world was only coming into the open a little bit here and there. In the Western world of our times, though, this knowledge has been widespread and has been adhered to for centuries. Presently, however, people have abandoned Christian values and norms, and they have little interest in the sense of life, in the hope for the future, or the truth of eternal life. And if there is an eternal life, they will share in that too, no doubt. We're all going to a better place, or so they think. Meanwhile, however, Live for today and take what you can get. Now, we, brothers and sisters, know the origin and purpose of this world. We know of the work of God in history. We know of the kingdom of God that is breaking through in this world. We know that the only reason for the continuation of history is the completion of the plan of God. The fulfillment also of the number of the elect. We know all that and much more 
about the sense and goal of this life. The question, however, is, are we conscious of that? Is that what we are living for? Is it that knowledge that fills our hearts, directs our minds, and determines our pursuits? Does that make us people who are becoming more and more different in the midst of this godless, lawless, and senseless generation? Do we testify of this difference in purpose and pursuit? Do we give account of God's will for our life? Do we answer everyone who asked us about our life, about our different practices and our priorities, that we are living under the kingship of Jesus Christ? That's what the Apostle Peter encourages us to do, exhorting us, in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, holding up Christ as Lord, Christ as hope, Christ as model. So that's the theme and summary of the sermon. In your heart, honor God, Christ the Lord as holy, holding up Christ as Lord, Christ as hope, Christ as model. So first of all, Christ as Lord. As I already said, brothers and sisters, Peter wrote this letter to believers who were living in the midst of a Roman world, which was much like our present-day society. When you read this letter from beginning to end a few times, it strikes you that the main theme of the epistle is, how do you live as Christian in the midst of this world? We may want to characterize our present world as a lawless and adulterous generation. Peter's world was one saturated with paganism and heathendom. Writing to them and us as strangers in the world certainly was an appropriate address. Then how do we deal with this position as strangers? For Peter's readers, the choice for Christ meant a total change in their life, a breach with the past and a breakdown in their present relations quite often. How difficult a change that was. It's striking how often the Apostle Peter speaks about the suffering that resulted in their life. Time and again, he comforts them, encourages them, and empathizes with them in the trials they encounter due to their faith, their new lifestyle. They met with ignorance, misunderstanding, slander, mockery, exclusion, you name it. Suffering for righteousness' sake, Peter calls it. How do you deal with that? Against that background, beloved, Peter exhorts these believers to stand in the midst of this world united and to live in harmony with each other. That first. They needed each other. In their interactions and dealings with each other, they should show a different spirit, not repay evil for evil, 
not retaliate, but bless and do good. Yes, and then also their strained or even broken relationships at home, at work, and in the society, they should do good. Even if people repay this with scorn or slander or rejection, still do good, Peter says. Strange? Well, indeed, but that's what Christians are, strangers in the world. Easier said than done? True. In fact, experiences like that may make them wonder at times what good it does actually to believe. And people who observe them in their struggles and sufferings might mock them too, asking them, where is your God? Nice faith you have. Still, then your response to that is not the one of Job's wife, curse God and die, but the reaction of Job. Shall I receive the good from God's hand and not the evil? God, help me. Christ, hold on to me. Well, that reaction, beloved, such a response to the difficulties and struggles and sufferings that believers encounter in the midst of this world, Peter conveys in the exhortation of our text, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That expression means that you make Christ very special in your life. Look up to Him with the deepest respect, to Him who rules the world and still keeps all things in His control, come what may. His ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Therefore, set Christ apart. Regard Him as holy. Then Peter uses an expression which he, which he derives from the Old Testament prophets, an expression denoting that the Lord is special, holy, and that He must be recognized and acknowledged as the only one, the true God, the one who is and who was and who will be there for you in all His greatness, majesty, and glory. The ESV translation, brothers and sisters, retains the contrast Peter wanted to express to his readers. In verse 14, he alludes to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who in chapter 8, verse 12 and 13 says, do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. There Isaiah is speaking to King Ahaz, who had been trying to avoid the enemy the enmity of Assyria, or the opposition of the allied forces of Israel and Syria. At that time, Ahaz ignored the Lord as his helper and did not trust in his great power. However, doing that, the people of the Lord brought, brought even greater danger over their life, Isaiah says, a more serious threat 
even than the threat of their enemies. They get the Lord against them. However, Isaiah reminds the king, if you have the Lord on your side and he is the Holy One in your life in whom you trust, then what enemy can touch you, can conquer you? If God is on our side against us can be none, we also sing in hymn 35. Well, that's what the apostle Peter conveys to his readers too. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That means in your hearts, consider Christ the Holy One, the unique one. In the sight of all your adversaries, all your suffering. And it's very important to note, beloved, that the Apostle Peter stresses the fact that this process of setting Christ apart is done in your heart. It's first of all a personal commitment, a personal acceptance of this relationship with Christ. For each and every Christian, it's a deeply serious matter. In your heart, set Christ apart as Lord, as your Lord, your personal Lord and Savior. He bought you with His blood and owns you. Therefore, His Lordship over your life is total. He claims your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's what every child of God has to believe personally and accept totally. And that's not something hard or terrible, though, but something wonderful. For it's by His Spirit of love and grace that Christ claims us, renews us, and helps us. That's what we confess in Lord's Day 1 as our only comfort both in life and death. Its comfort pervades our whole existence. And therefore, with our whole heart, we are to submit ourselves to Him, trust in Him, with our heart as the motor, the center of our life. And especially in the midst of suffering, as Peter's readers encountered, and in the midst of all the difficulties and troubles of life, we must believe in our own heart as our personal commitment in Christ's help, in Christ's nearness, and in Christ's power. The reason why this was such an important point to stress, brothers and sisters, lies in the fact that those believers in Peter's days, those strangers in the Roman world, stood out so much. They were so different from all others that people often inquired, how come that was the case? And their questions were not always asked in a friendly manner, but often with a hostile intention. Why don't you go to the temple? Why don't you worship the gods anymore? Why are you so strict all of a sudden to be that way when it comes to feasting, drinking, dancing, or sex? You never used to be that way. 
So why so different now, so strict, so pious? Their behavior was suspicious. Their lifestyle was slandered. That's what they had to deal with. Then you can imagine the fear, the threats in their life. That's why Peter reminds them of King Ahaz and of the danger of seeking help around you instead of with the Lord, the danger also of adapting to the people around you, toning down the differences, avoiding confrontation. No, says Peter, in your heart honor Christ the Lord as holy. Trust that He will help you. Trust that His Spirit will enable you to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of your different life. You see, that's an important message to us. How come we aren't in such a position too often? Is that because we avoid being different? Avoid showing the difference? Is it not obvious any longer that we are believers, evident that we are Christians? Have we parked our faith somewhere on the outskirts of our life where it doesn't bother anyone and where we aren't bothered about it by anyone either? Could also be, of course, because we have withdrawn ourselves from this world taken our faith into our own close circles and live with each other on an island with Christ? Those are important questions which we have to ask ourselves, using them to examine our life and position in the midst of this world. It is in the sight of such inclinations and tendencies, beloved, that the Apostle Peter exhorts his readers and us in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Show that you are His. Don't be afraid to show it, to speak about it. Show it by a lifestyle in which you do good even more, work even harder, show your loyalty as citizen even more. <clears throat> show it <clears throat> by, a good by being a good spouse, to an unbelieving partner, by being caring parents, obedient children, diligent employees, good employers. You could put it like this even, especially when they do evil, you do good even more. Then people can't say anything bad about you, though they are watching you closely. That way, you will distinguish yourself from many others who are not Christians. That way, people will have to conclude, I don't know what it is, but those Christians do have something special. They must be doing something right. Yes, they are reliable, caring, outgoing, and sincere in their faith. It sure does make a difference when they are totally devoted to Christ as Lord. In other words, by your deeds, your faith is speaking. 
then it will be important as well to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Our second point, Christ as hope. This exhortation of the Apostle Peter, brothers and sisters, actually is very relevant in a world like ours today. In a time when people speak a lot about taking revenge, resorting to violence, throwing in windows, and demonstrating in whatever evil way they can design. In our multicultural society, with its growing ethnic differences too, we see mistrust, suspicion, and hostilities increase. What a special opportunity that creates to speak of the gospel of reconciliation and love. Or better yet, what special occasions arise to show others the difference, neighbors, fellow workers of a different religious or ethnic background. Then to use the opportunity to speak about the underlying powers of sin, the origins of evil and hatred, or else to show it by being the least, being humble and not to retaliate. In discussions about the news as well, the opportunities arise to help others see the, the underlying forces in society, the spirits that are at work in the midst of this world. Then to be able to respond and explain in the light of the Scriptures. Of course, then our neighbors have to know that we are dealing with those events differently. They have to know that we are standing in the midst of this world with a different outlook, a different perspective and hope. That awareness could make them curious or critical or even annoyed, irritable, or hateful, and they may show that very negatively and speak about this God of yours who allows all this misery to happen. You see, beloved, then we should not be turned off or be intimidated or shy, but rather use the opportunity to respond to it knowledgeably. Indeed, beloved, we'll have to be able to do so. Knowledgeable, too. That's what Peter implies when he uses the expression, always be prepared to give an answer. Then we may have to be at peace on the one hand, trusting in the Lord's promise that we don't have to worry at that moment what to answer, for the Spirit will bring it to your remembrance, Jesus said, John 14, verse 26. That does mean, however, that you have learned the answer first. Otherwise, there is nothing to remember. That's what this preparation implies that Peter mentions. Always be prepared because you have read your Bible diligently. Always be prepared because you have discussed these questions at your Bible study society. Always be prepared as you took your catechism classes seriously. 
Always be prepared to give an answer, Peter writes, to make a defense. Then that answer should be clear and straightforward and spoken with conviction, yet as a simple and humble testimony of the Scriptures. You know, there is an old Jewish proverb which says something like this. When someone asks you something from the Torah, that is the book of the law, you are not allowed to stutter. Well, that applies here too. That's how we show in the first place that we set Christ apart in our heart as Lord. We know Him. We trust in Him. And we live for Him. It's been Pentecost, and we all receive the anointing with the Holy Spirit so that we may know the visions, share the promises, and receive insight in the events and judgments that will be going over this world according to the Holy Scriptures. Then we have an opportunity to explain what it means that we believe to show that we trust in God in everything and that we live for Christ, who governs all things for the church. That's what Peter exhorts us to do, beloved. Hold up Christ as your hope. Our whole faith, the heart of our life in Christ, is comprised in that one word, hope. Peter started out his epistle by praising God for this living hope. An inheritance is waiting for us. It's that hope actually that results from the new birth, the new life that we have in Christ through His resurrection from the dead. It's a living hope because we have it in Christ who is keeping it for us in heaven. That's one of those incentives to set Christ apart in your heart as your Lord. We are heading for a glorious future. As the Apostle Paul has said as well, no suffering can compare to the glory that has been revealed over us. Then Paul elaborates concerning that hope and says that it is something that we don't see. Yet we expect it with eager anticipation and wait for it patiently. As believers, we don't talk about those good old days, but actually we're not all that good anyway. But we are looking forward for the future, for that future belongs to Jesus Christ. He is coming. His kingdom will come. That's why we can be at peace in the midst of a restless world. That's why we can be assured of His help when we answer even the adversaries or need to testify of Christ before kings and rulers. That's not because a believer is living in a different world, but because he hopes for a different world. And in doing so, we have Christ also as a model, our third point. At other places in his epistle, brothers and sisters, the apostle Peter helped his readers in the way they should handle their difficult situation. When it comes to suffering 
in your position as slave, for instance, he writes, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. To the wives, he writes, especially to those who have a husband who does not believe, that her behavior should be such that it wins him over. Her husband should be able to see the reflection of Christ in her life since her beauty is of her inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. There you have a beautiful illustration of what Peter is saying in our text. In your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy. In your inner self, let Christ determine your attitude your behavior. Well, that's also Peter's encouragement in our text. Do this with gentleness and respect. Let the fear of God reflect in the way you answer everyone who asks you. Let your trust in Christ give you the confidence so that you can respond gently, wisely, just like Christ answered his adversaries, his opponents, the leaders of Israel. That too, beloved, is an important aspect in Peter's exhortation. Also in our manner, we should reflect that we honor Christ the Lord, that we depend on Him and live for Him. It happens so easily that we are standing in the way of others. It could happen that we project ourselves as superior rather than as gentle, humble followers of Christ. People could get the impression that we think we are better because of our faith in Christ, our hope of salvation. That happens when we come across as people who give the other an earful or a piece of our carnal mind, sharply, coldly. No, no, says Peter, do this with gentleness and respect. That way we convey that these are high and holy matters, matters that are not just our personal opinion, but matters that are divine, spiritual, and of eternal significance and consequence. Then we must confess that our life and our hope in Christ is not just a personal choice because we are so inclined, but a commitment of obedience. Christ has the right to be our Lord, to determine our life, and to be obeyed by the people of this world. His kingship should be acknowledged by everyone. That's something we are showing in words indeed. So, in your heart, beloved, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Heed that call personally. Show it in your life at home and at work. Project it in your walk in the midst of this world. Speak of it, of your hope in Christ. Don't be afraid to give account of the hope that you have. Prepare yourself for it personally 
and collectively in your Bible study at home and in the study societies, at home and in the schools of our children, don't be ashamed, for the hope of faith will not deceive us. For Christ is Lord, and our hope in His coming is a hope in His glorious coming, and it is sure. Then we may share in that glory, a glory that will exceed every kind of suffering in an unimaginable way. Amen.